Welcome down to the North Star Community Podcast Message Recap thing. I'm Scott, smooth, I'm smooth operating MC and pastor. <laughs> Very funny. That doesn't explain why we're on our second take, because we've already gotten off topic and had to start ourselves over again. That was kind of a joke, because I stumbled through it the second time as well, but that's okay. It is what it is. I did not graduate with a degree in podcasting. I graduated with a degree in theology, and I'm making do. And business. Yeah. A couple other things, but that's a whole different subject. Yeah. So, we are in this series... um, possible this is the first one that we're recording in this series because we've really had a hard time doing podcasts in the new year i think it's the second one i think we've recorded one before on building a new family and um, this is always something i actually was having a conversation last night in our men's group with somebody who was saying that he was really grateful to have found north star because he said being here is like family and then he corrected himself and said no this is family Huh. Interesting. And it, it was like it, it wasn't enough for him that it was like family. It was it was no, I am treated I'm not treated like family. I am family. I belong here. That's very sweet. It was really nice. Uh it was really nice to hear, but I think you know, it speaks to I think a really common struggle that people have in recovery because like on the one hand there's this How do I reconcile with my family? There's all kinds of family issues that can come up in recovery, and they look different for each person. But then there's also, how do I do life without all my best friends, who are the people who I was using with, right? you know, or whatever the case may be. Um, You know, people end up in recovery for a, a wide variety of reasons. I mean, some people have just had really traumatic families, and they don't know what family should look like. They don't know what to look for. In, uh, in other people and surrounding themselves with a new family or creating their own family. And there's just all sorts of stuff that we could get into. Well, to that point, I'll get into one thing as an example. So last night in our women's group, one of the things that one of the women was wrestling with was whether to attend a funeral today or not. Mm. And um, it's because um, the funeral was for a young person who had been in her child's using group and her child had gotten sober. Uh, A lot of this group had not. What do you do with the funeral? Do you show up or do you not show up? Is it a trigger or is it a not trigger? And, um, you know, these are the kinds of questions that recovering people wrestle with that I don't think people who don't have to lean into recovery even realize that they have to consider. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm wondering, I'll have to ask afterwards, I'm, I think I maybe know the person you're talking, you're talking about, but we'll see. Um, so the issue that you, um, the issue that uh, came up on this particular weekend where you were giving the message, you started with resentment. Yes. And I I started with resentment and chose it as my topic because I think uh, whether you're trying to hold on to your old family or building a new family, uh, resentment's inevitable. 
Yeah. And we all respond to it in different ways. And many of us haven't been given, uh, in my opinion, uh, great skills to deal with it um, across the board. I think sometimes we're told, don't feel resentment, just forgive. Uh, but we're not necessarily taught how to make an amends. Mm-hmm. Uh, or we're not taught the nuances of one's uh, rearrangement of the relationship after harm's been done. Uh, I, don't, I think we're told, don't be envious, jealous, all these things, but we're not taught how to have an inspired way of seeing that allows us to believe that uh, the world is not all bad and that it it welcomes us in many ways and that we can find uh, what we need in it and that God is doing that sort of thing, even in the midst of great suffering and loss. So I it seemed to me that we needed to have a conversation about what to do with resentment based on this thing we talk here about our inspired way of seeing, but really as it pertains to building a new family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you began with this question, what causes you to have resentment and how do you handle it? Or at least as I remember, I don't know if you even got to the second part of that question uh, when you actually asked it. And um, I, um, yeah, I'm wondering if you remember some of the key responses, if any of them stood out to you when you asked that question, because there was a lot of discussion on this particular Sunday. Well, one of the things I remember somebody said was they really uh, resent the fact that they're not welcome at home Mm. and that no one will give them a second chance. Yeah. Uh, Somebody else said they resent the fact that we live in a world where um, they can't... um, get employment uh, because of their felonies as a result of their substance use disorder, and they resented that. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you remember? I remember some stuff that I want to keep in my back pocket for later on from okay. a conversation that came later on. Um, I did not, you know, I, it's been a number of weeks, so I couldn't remember a specific uh, responses to that so much. But I mean, I think there's also kind of some of the usual stuff of just like when you've been mistreated, you know, or like um, when you've been mistreated and there's no sort of recompense for that person, you know, things that are just sort of legitimately unjust in life. And I think that um, even in the best of relationships, that is still a possible source of resentment. In that category, I remember some people talking about the fact that they feel like they do all the work in their relationship and they resent the fact that other people don't work as hard at it as they do. Mm-hmm. I can see how that would be the case. Yeah. Um, the other people in, in that sort of category as well uh, resent the fact that they feel like people uh, don't take the time to get to know them. Mm. Um, so those were also the kinds of things that were going on. The yeah, resentment would, that comes with feeling misunderstood. Yeah, and I would guess it's not just the fact that people don't take the time to get to know them, but also the assumptions that are made about a person without taking the time to get to know them. That seems to me to be kind of the key dynamic that makes that resent, you know, 
that makes that resentment engine go. Yeah, somebody else talked about the fact that they resent being judged by others because of the way they um, are politically aligned in the judgments that people make about them. Yeah, we're all guilty of that one these days. Yeah. So the passage that you used is this one that, you know, it's kind of funny to use this one from the perspective of resentment, but it's just sort of this passage of Peter asking Jesus, how many times should I forgive? I mean, does seven times seem okay to you? And Jesus says, um, not so much that, but seven, uh, se- uh, 77 times, right? Or seven times 70 or whatever, depending on which book you're looking in. We yeah. looked in the, we looked in the 77 times version. Yeah. Um, and so we've got all these resentments that we need to live with. It's inevitable. It's part of life. And I think maybe maybe to close a loop from earlier because I think you were hinting at this and I don't know that we actually I don't know that we actually closed it, but you made this comment about how people often don't feel welcome and they can't bring them full their full selves with them everywhere in life. And I think that you know, that's um you know, when you're talking about faith communities and resentment, I mean, I think that's a really key issue is if somebody has a resentment, there's so much social pressure to pretend like you don't have a resentment and that you have forgiven because there are these instructions on on the importance of forgiveness. Right. We can unpack the dynamics of the forgiveness and like, and we have done so a number of times. We about, wrote a book about it. Are there <laughs> limits on it? Are there not limits on it? Right. When can you? Is it a process? Is it a one-time thing? Yada, yada, yada. But I think that this idea that like we'd have to leave part of ourselves hidden because we have something that we're not supposed to have, you know, that that is always, you know, if there's a theme to the messages that I've given over my time at North Star, it's probably that something to do with that of like, if you can bring your whole self with you anywhere and not leave something behind, you know, it would be in a faith community. I've never quite stated it in those words, yes, but I think... I do think that's a real thematic yeah, principle for you. I think that's always been really important to me, is like, we're never going to be able to do this thing if if we're keeping things hidden and or if we are pressuring others, intentionally or not, to keep things hidden in order for the community to keep moving. Yes. It's like always been my thought that it all needs to be here no matter how messy it is. Right. Or we're only appearing to move. Right. And I think I I think I love this passage because I think it brings some things like that to the light that are just almost um uh insights into the way uh Jesus sees more than what Jesus wants us to do. Because Peter's really in this thing, he's asking He's indicating his desire for a rule, right? I want to know what the rule is. Mm -hmm. If you give me the rule, then I can start ticking off the number of times I forgive my brother. It's like a surface level of engagement. Right. It's it's like, tell me what I have to do to comply, to to be on the team, Right. right? And I really think that that's so often how we approach faith, um, or a lot of things. I mean, you know, I always say if there's one question anybody ever asks me is um, the the theme that people come into my office to ask is tell me what to do in this difficult situation, right? And um, not 
that doesn't mean that they're going to do it. It doesn't mean they even really want me to. But there is this feeling that many of us have, I think, like how does how does life work? And they don't want to know how to make the watch. They just want to see what time it is. So I think that's what Peter's doing here. Peter's question is, I want to rule. I want to know how to be on the team. I want to know how to deal with this difficult sibling. Yep. Um, and he wants to know when he's done enough and when he can stop. Um, and I think Jesus is such an interesting guy because in a way he's clear and in another way he's slippery. And I just admire that capacity in him so much Um, because Peter's asking for rules and Jesus is asking him to live by an inspired way of seeing. Yeah. And so Peter wants to know what to do um, so that he can avoid having to come to terms with the whole history of his relationship with the sibling. Yeah, it's almost like, I think if I were to try to, like, actually formulate Jesus's response and make it into an instruction, it would be like, you should always consider whether it's, whether it's the appropriate time to offer forgiveness Right, like right. every situation is different. Even if you have a really lengthy history with somebody, like you should always wrestle with this. Right. I what I said in the notes was, and I really actually liked the sentence that I had. I said that Jesus's reply was saying, "I am unwilling to give you a way out of a continuing requirement to wrestle with a relationship to your brother." Yeah, or inc- or community member. We, we might change that too to be right. a little more right, um, or to, to tr- somebody true to the context. Yes, to somebody you're connected with, right? Yeah, to your to your to somebody who that, you say is part of your community, and that's significant. Like when they say brother or sister, they don't mean literal S- sibling, right. but that's that's not necessarily what I'm concerned with so much as like when we've talked about forgiveness in the past, a lot of times we've kind of indicated that like there's a difference between what we offer in community and what we offer out of the community, right? And so this would be one of those relationships. You know, if you want to hear us talk about in the community versus out of the community, go back and listen to the forgiveness podcast. We won't get into it here. But this passage is an in the community passage. Yes. And I think that's just always important thing to keep in mind. Like, so, I mean, for instance, if you're the person listening to this and, and thinking, you know, and, and thinking on your history of trauma or abuse, like, this instruction isn't actually given to somebody who's had a history of trauma or abuse, because if somebody has traumatized you and abused you your entire life, that's not a community member. Right. So, that's kind of the short version of, of some of the cautions that we usually put on this stuff. Right. And you're not, you're, you're, you're not being... So I, I, <laughs> I need to do my usual add-on to that. Uh, you're not literally saying that no community member has ever abused anyone, as in you're not saying members of the same church. You're saying uh, because there are people who have abused people who are members of the same church. Right. Right, or hang out at the same country club. But this is people that have 
share your inspired way of seeing that you're committed to. So when we're talking about community, we're talking about the nature of the relationships. People who are, like you just said, people who are legitimately committed to the same way of seeing, not just people who call themselves Christians or, like you said, attend the same church, like people who you know share your values. Yeah, we we use the phrase here because we took it out of Corinthians is people who live in your hut. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that's a subset of of that you've chosen. So hear that sentence again. Jesus is saying, "I'm unwilling to give you a way out of a continuing requirement to wrestle with a relationship to your brother, um, to somebody that you have chosen uh, to think of as very close to you." Um, even if they're not your DNA sibling, but somebody that you really value relationship with. And, um, I mean, that's, I find that so interesting and exciting. Yeah. You know, if we uh, lived with a faith that was about following rules where you could, you could um, deconstruct forgiveness and come out with a, a flow chart, that would not be very interesting to me. But to instead be entrusted with the fact that you have the capacity in your humanity to actually wrestle with something, I love that. It goes back to that thing that you teach when you talk about God, for whatever reason, deciding to work with humanity mm-hmm. um, and uh, allowing this space for us to to be part of a solution. And I, I find that to be so true here. Um, Jesus isn't making it easy for Peter, but I think in another real sense, he's saying he's giving Peter a vote of potential confidence. Right. You're capable of doing this. You can do this. It's hard. This is your work. But this is your work and you can do it. And um, and in order to do that, you know, you're going to have to lean into um, sadness or grief. Um, you're going to have to wrestle with the fact that the world is an impermanent place of relationship, and that relationships are hard, and that things change. I mean, there's just a lot, a lot of stuff going on here. But he's given Peter's being given the opportunity to sort of uh, recognize that he's sad that it's difficult to be in relationship with this particular community member. But there's also a huge need for unity and commitment to the greater good of the community. Um, and that we must fight for connection even when it's uncomfortable to do so. We can't keep throwing people away just because we're uncomfortable or we're not getting what we want in a yeah. relationship. Yeah. I think one of the things that um, I mentioned earlier that stood out to me was, um, you know, one of the people who was there, their response to hearing that passage was like, rather than looking at it as 
this instruction to always consider forgiveness, it was like uh, they were thinking about a family member. I don't want to give. I don't want to get into the details for their sake, but their question was, "Did I already use up my seventy-seven? Did I hit number seventy-eight? Like, oh, did I? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did I go too far to ever be forgiven?" Right. right. And um, I'm wondering if you want to respond to that. Well, I do, but probably not in the way uh, that would be particularly helpful to the group. But I will say that um, as a person given the message, um, it is often the case that I learn more from the crowd than I teach because I realized that in preparing this message, I had never given, and this is a bad on me, all bad, uh, no good, I had never considered reading this passage from that position, and yet we had lots of people in our crowd who could easily ask that question. Have I used up my 77 relationship lives? Yep. That's the difference between reading this in a recovery community versus reading in a church. Like, you read it in a church, and everybody's thinking about how many more times do I have to forgive? You read it in a recovery community, and everybody's wondering— did I go too far that such that I'll never be forgiven again? Yeah, and I really missed that in um, preparing this message um, because I was so taken with Peter. I, I think that I was really, when I was studying and preparing, I was really into the mind and heart of Peter. Um, so that was a big miss on my part. What I don't, you, I don't what think you, so. What did you think when he asked it? Well, I, ju- I well, first of all, I, I just want to say, like, I think that this passage isn't intended to address that concern, right? I think that's the hard part about reading a passage sometimes is people see things and it's like, can I ever not be forgiven, I think is the question. And that's not the question this passage is answering. This passage is addressing the person who's struggling to know you know what are the limits on my forgiveness and there's yes. not a and there's not a firm answer for that right yes. so and, i think and, that you and, didn't you didn't miss it in your preparation at all it's just one of those things that so often happens is somebody asks a question that's not relevant to the passage and that's okay there's nothing wrong with asking a question that's not relevant to a passage but i think you know to to his question i think the heart of it is just really sad of like am i ever gonna you know, kind of what some of the language you used earlier. Are, am I ever going to be able to reconnect with this person again? Like, is it is this relationship now over because of what I did? Right. I mean, this is a person who's just really, really wrestling with that. And I don't have a comment on it necessarily, but I think, you know, in a way, that's the kind of wrestling that Jesus is encouraging. It's just on the other side of the equation. I mean, I think it's important that we wrestle both with the difficulty of trying to forgive, uh, trying to figure out when to forgive, but I think it's also important to wrestle with the possibility that we've caused so much harm that for that we recognize it's going to be hard for somebody else to forgive us. Yeah, I mean that that dynamic makes everything smoother. You know, when you need to forgive and you're very aware of the harm that you've caused, forgiveness is easier. I, you know, I don't know why that is. Right. And I don't like to make such firm statements, but I I really believe that. I really believe that if you know what kind of harm you can cause, 
it's easier to forgive. That doesn't mean it's easy. It's just easier than when you think that you haven't done anything wrong. I totally agree with that. Um, And although I agree with you also that I don't think that that's what the question is, Um, just from it seemed really obvious that that should come up in the discussion. And um, I wish I had thought about it a little bit more. Uh, Upon reflection and thinking about it, though, um, I think the inspired way in seeing the principles and the processes are still the same. You still have stuff to do. There's stuff to do. And, and And one of the things I love about the 12 steps is they articulate so clearly what those things are. So the thing that I would say um, to the person who asked that question, have I have I screwed this relationship up uh, beyond repair? I would say, I hear you. Um, I've been in that situation myself, and I know what that's like, and it's a terrible feeling. But don't let that feeling get in the way of you continuing to do your hard work, which is if you have screwed up 75 or 78 times, the next steps that we'll get into eventually in the 12-step process address that, and you're going to have an opportunity to make a wrong right. So eventually you're going to get to the point where you, you're you going to have to wrestle with whether that feeling you're feeling is simply one of self-pity or an inspired feeling of um, humility and a readiness to change. Because whether a person thinks you've gone over the ticker tape line of forgiveness or not, here's the deal. You can always, as long as you've got breath in your lungs, wrestle with how to make a wrong right. So Peter's not the only guy that's wrestling here. So is the guy who's been annoying 76 times. And um, that's the thing I love about the scripture. I think you can always find the both and in it. And I just think this is a, an amazing passage, and I think Jesus is really cool. <laughs> I bet you could buy that hat on Amazon. Jesus is really cool. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you could. <laughs> so I, you know, I just thought that was a really good message. And um, yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciated that. And I think that, um, you know, drawing that back to this idea of family um, in closing, I think is, is, um, you know, a, a true family is one where you wrestle with the relationship and you do hard things together, yeah. right? So you deal with resentments together. You deal with forgiveness issues together. Um, yeah. And um, I think that's, you know, kind of simple on, on one level, but very difficult to actually practice. So we haven't done this in a while, so I'm guessing that you're not going to be prepared and that we're both going to be embarrassed here in a second. But do you have anything that you want to recommend to our good listeners? I know what I want to recommend, but I'm really curious as to what you want to recommend. No, Well, I mean, you go first. You know, I asked you first. So um, I want to recommend an author. Good. A fiction author. Okay. Um, her name is Diane Chamberlain. 
And um, her, her works of fiction really wrestle with some beautiful things in very interesting ways. One way of one of her books even includes time traveling. Oh, Lord. But really, uh, they're set uh, generally in North Carolina, which is uh, my home state. And so um, for those of you out there who uh, have a particular fondness for that state like I do, you'll recognize the geography and and whatnot of the the setting but um i think she really captures the essence of uh redemption and uh the wrestle wrestling with trying to be a better human being so i really love it uh one of her novels uh, whose name escapes me um wrestles with a a young woman who has gotten a dui has gone to prison and uh, is in recovery. So, of course, I like that one. But I think all of her works of fiction are really good. So as you're preparing for your summer reading early on in the spring, uh, Diane Chamberlain, check her out. All right. All right, this uh, was fun. You've been hearing music for a little while now, and I'm going to give you the spiel quickly. It's from Blue Dot Sessions. They can be found on the web at sessions.blue. Again, we're North Star Community. You can find us at northstarcommunity.com. We enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed it. We will talk to you next time.